extract the contents for cakes in the home. My name is Michael. You're listening to Choking on Cufflinks, and uh, I am here this week in the studio with Michael Z from legendary U.S. art wave band Crash Course in Science, who we just heard from. Hello, Michael. Hello. And and uh, we have some huge news. Crash Course in Science, we heard Cakes in the Home, originally from your very first 7-inch. Yes. Released uh, back in 1980 on Go-Go, and now available in your new box set out on vinyl on demand this is a, a beautiful triple lp plus seven inch plus some some of us get a t-shirt in the box really beautiful edition collecting all of the previously released works of crash course in science all seven songs as well as loads and loads of really wonderful unreleased material so uh first off i want to tell you thank you so much for uh coming here choking on cufflinks here on wfmu and uh Thanks for making such wonderful, great music. Uh, I have long been a fan of Crash Course in Science. Well, thank you very much. Um, it, it's uh, really exciting to be here, and um, it's really exciting that the, the box set is finally seeing the light of day. It was a long time coming, and um, we were really happy with the way it came out. Now, so. in, a, in addition to the 7-inch, which is reissued in the box set, and the 12-inch signals from Pure 13, uh, which followed up the 7-inch by about a year, 1981. There's Near Marine Land, which is new recordings? Um, the tracks for Near Marine Land were all recorded about a year after Signals from Pier 13, and they remained unreleased at that time. And um, so we always knew that they would come out eventually. And um, being that it, it had been a while we revisited those tracks and were able to make some tweaks t uh, compositionally to them because when we, re we re originally recorded those demos those all those songs were pretty new to us and um, they usually a song will develop you know for a while after we've been playing it live and we pretty much recorded those really fresh so it was great to be able to go back into them and to really make the demos sound the way the the sound the songs really did eventually sound to us um, because they did develop. And this is something, this is a progression you can also look at in the box set because you've got live versions uh, and demos of a lot of the, the Near Marineland songs. You've got slight remixes and remixes and then you've got kind of a finished product. So tell me about, you know, Crash Course in Science forms, let's say, 1978, 1979? It was 1978. And how did that happen? Um, okay, I, um, I met Mallory and Dale in art school. We all went to Philadelphia College of Art, which is now University of the Arts. And um, I was always making tapes with toy instruments and recording things really loud and alarm clocks and beating on my dad's mandolin and different types of things and just recording them and singing them, singing to them. And um, and so Dale and Mallory, af after we met, I played them a, a bunch of my tapes and then they started making their own tapes together. And then the three of us got together and, um, you know, Crash Course in Science kind of happened. Um, Dale was really instrumental in building a lot of our instruments, um, you know, there's a whole bent instrument um, um, forum going on right now. and um, But Dale was really one of the originators of that. Um, he was really, he built a lot of things that we used as instruments or altered a lot of toy keyboards and things. And um, it really contributed a lot to our sound. Now, for our late perspective, you know, this idea that, that there's there's somehow this notion that this is like exact acceptable form and that this is you know kind of the the music which which is made but to me crash course in science is like 
this is art school music. This is like this helps to define what U.S. art school music should sound like. It it just you know hearing cakes in the home, you have this like there's just something so vivid about it and the images that it brings up to me of that time. So you know, tell me how was your reception? You know, what did people say in like 1979 and 1980 when you would come out there and you had these toy instruments and they heard the music you were making on these tapes? Um, the response was was pretty great. I mean, um, it was, um, people really responded well, and either they really loved it or they really didn't like it. Um, it's funny, with Cakes in the Home, what it really, the, the photo on the actual cover is of a cake that was frozen that was left on the radiator, and that was something that really happened. Um, this, you know. this is the blue label American yeah. pressing, which it's, which is the only one I have, and I'm a much bigger fan of it <laughs> color wise than the yellow UK pressing of Cakes in the Home. I like the blue one better too. I've never I've never found a copy of the yellow one. I I've been told that they're actually more common. I've I've found I've been very lucky in terms of the number of blue copies which I found, mm-hmm. but I've never <laughs> seen you know a copy of the yellow one for sale. So it, it's always kind of amusing to me that there's like. Crash Course in Science, you know, you're you're at this point, you know, quite well known in Europe, which is one of those things that we're probably going to be discussing in a little bit. But you know, to me, all the Europeans always have the yellow cover one, and I've always got the blue cover one. So that's always kind of one of these little little <laughs> points. You ended up on GoGo, which was yes. a, a local Philadelphia label. Yes. For Cakes in the Home. Yes. Um, Lee Paris and Steve Pross were. Um, the originators of GoGo Records, and they were DJs at WXPN in in Philadelphia, uh, and um, they originally started playing a lot of the early Crash Course tapes on the air, and that was kind of how a lot of it, you know, b- people started to hear our music, and you know, when we did play live, people had heard us on the radio already. So, um, but but yes, we were the the first record was released in uh, on GoGo. And uh, that was the same label as uh, a few of the other local bands. Some Chokehand Cufflinks, WFMU listeners might know the label from uh, the dance first, the first 12-inch by the dance and the great Chandra 12-inch, which uh, was reissued last year by Cantor. I think she was a 12-year-old girl backed by the model citizens at the time. You know, to me, uh, uh, this entire, you know, New York, Philadelphia scene just seems so vibrant, you know, full of creative people looking for new ways to approach music. So tell me about this. What goes through your head that first time you're down from New York, you're living in New York, your bandmates are living in Philadelphia. What goes through your head the first time you're like, we're going to be playing live? This is not well, just us and some cassette tapes. <laughs> well, um, it's funny you should ask. Um, what happened was uh, I was in Philadelphia rehearsing with, um, with Dale Mallory, and we had actually only been playing together about a week. And... Um, since a lot of the tapes have been played on the radio, you know, people knew about us and everything. So um, there was a concert that was going to be at Grendel's Lair on South Street, and they had already rented the PA for it, and um, Suicide was supposed to play. And they canceled for some reason, and so Lee and Steve said, you guys are playing tonight. And um, so I remember walking into the bathroom and putting cold water on my face and came out and I said, we're what? <laughs> but we actually, it was the first time any of us had ever uh, played music live, although we had all been um, making these tapes for quite some time. So it was, it was pretty exciting. <laughs> and the box set actually includes two, uh, some material from two live shows, yes. 1981, one of which opens for Philip Glass, and the other of which is at an electronic music festival. Yes. And there's a version of Near Marineland on that. Mm-hmm. We're actually, though, going to hear the finished, polished, final version of Near Marineland, and then we'll come back to uh, discuss some more things with you. So this is Crash Course in Science, Near Marineland, on WFMU.
Lamb live November 1980, almost 29 years ago to the day. Opening for Philip Glass in Philadelphia. Michael, tell me that little anecdote that you just told me about that performance and about Cardboard Lamb. Uh, yeah, well, that version of Cardboard Lamb um, that we just listened to was actually recorded about a, a month or so before we actually recorded Signals from Pier 13. Um, so there was a there was a little button on the drum machine that had this really blasting white noise sound and um it's on this actual version but right before we recorded the record that button gave way and so the hiss isn't as strong on the actual studio recording but it's strong enough so cardboard lamb i i would say has become a a, a signature song uh, for Crash Course in Science, um, it, it originally appearing on your on your lone twelve inch signals from Pure Thirteen that came out in nineteen eighty one on press out of out of Georgia, which always seemed you know you're you're up here the labels down there you know clearly there's there's people taking notice of what you're doing and you know writing to you contacting you saying you know let's let's work together we want to put out your music um, and you know and and cardboard lamb becomes this this anthem, I would say, in, in terms of early electro, you know, DIY dance music. Um, and it remains so today. Um, it's just such a, a powerful and perfect recording. Um, when you were making it, did you ever look back on it? You, you, you were like a, a sense of accomplishment, of very of happiness with how it came out? Uh, yeah, we, um, that was a song that we actually rehearsed quite a bit. And um, there's a many different versions of that that I have on rehearsal tapes, you know, from the different phases. Um, but um, y it, we always liked it, and <laughs> and uh, we were really pleased to finally record it and get it out. Um, but when we recorded Signals from Pier 13, um, we weren't really, sh uh, it wasn't really perceived so much as a dance record, per se. I mean, it was just the kind of music that we were making at the time. And um, 
you know, we knew it was, we were releasing it as a 12 inch and it was going to be, you know, the original 12 inch was 45 RPM. So we knew it had a chance to get played in clubs, but um, it wasn't really fashioned for that exactly. It was more of an art record. It was more of like just what we were up to. And, you know, it was a, a, a snapshot of Crash Course at that moment. And when so. did you find out that it was, you know, such a holy grail of, of underground dance music? That, you know, what you what you made as, you know, this is our music, this is our sound, somehow had become taken over by dance floors in Europe? Well, um, actually, it was quite a while. <laughs> um, we, um, when, th- when the record was originally released, I, I think I heard Cardboard Lamb out in the clubs um, a few times, and I heard Flying Turns a few times. Um, and we knew the people that, you know, our friends and other musicians that we hung out with and everything were, were into it, but we really weren't aware um, of the kind of impact that it was having over in Europe until later. Um, and so, I mean, I, I guess it was released over there in the mid-'80s, so, it, you know, it had been out, you know, we had, re- we had recorded it. We really recorded that in 1980, so it was like, you know, it was really getting noticed over there about, you know, six years or seven years after we recorded it. And as, a, as we, were, we were talking off mic about a whole variety of subjects, one of which was that Cakes in the Home also came out in Europe, both in its own 7-inch format, because Rough Trade, I think, did a lot of distribution of your 7-inch? They did, yeah. They picked up the, that record and distributed it. I was lucky enough to see an early, like, Rough Trade distribution catalog. It may have even been, like, the first or second one, and it was, like, given prime like serious like prime placement in the rough trade distribution (laughs) catalog like uh this is this is something you need to take notice of and pick up um and then you appeared on a major label comp machines yes we we, it was on virgin and um it was called machines and uh kitchen motors was on that album and um we were on there in really good company a lot of other bands um Heaven 17 and, and bands of that ilk. Yes. I think you were the only American band on there. I think so. I think it was orchestral maneuvers and yeah, uh, uh, public image and there were it's a, quite it's a, a few people. It's a long comp, but that just sticks out of my mind that uh, you guys you guys appeared on that. So when did when did DJ start contacting you about doing remixes of Cardboard Lamb? Um, that actually happened about five years ago. Um, we were uh, Terence Fix- Fixmer uh, contacted me through this label News in Belgium, and he was putting together a compilation called uh, Action Mechanique, and he wanted to include both Flying Turns and Cardboard Lamb on that record. And soon after we did that, where I was really dealing with the News label um, directly, Terence emailed me. He found our website and he emailed me and said that Vitalik was interested in remixing uh, Cardboard Lamb and also David Coretta and that was really incredible news and just one day in my I mean I emailed him back and I said we were into it and about a month later in my inbox was this remix of Cardboard Lamb by Vitalik and you know it's amazing <laughs> it's, it's a it's a favorite of mine it's an old thing you know we had that 12 inch at the station and we played it quite a bit mm-hmm. it's very enjoyable when he first sent it to me, though, um, there was a different woman singing it, and um, it's someone that he works with. And so, you know, it was more like a remix because mm-hmm. he p- pretty much redid the whole entire track. So I wrote back and I said, you know, we really like it. I mean, you know, she did a good job, but we really wanted Mallory's vocal on it, and uh, and so he agreed. That's that's yeah. that's nice. <laughs> yeah, that's very nice. <laughs> so l- let me ask you a few more questions before we hear one more track. Okay. Which is signals from Pier Thirteen. There were what, maybe a thousand copies at the time, two thousand. I think there was two. Yeah. And then, how soon after that did you start working on on near Marineland? Um, it was a it was about exactly one year um, after after we recorded. Um, Signals from Pier 13 that we started recording the tracks for Marineland. Um, and uh, th- like I said, the songs were in their really early form when we recorded them in the studio. For some reason, we had studio time and we went in and we, re- we recorded them pretty raw. And um, 
generally, I think, you know, with Signals from Pier 13, those songs we'd been rehearsing and playing live quite a bit more um, before we actually recorded them. So um, the Marineland tracks were kind of a a, a very, um, fr it was like a fresh take, but they were also a little bit unfinished at the time. Um, Let's hear maybe one. Maybe not unfinished, but they were just a little raw. The track we're about to hear is a demo from the Marineland session? Yes. And here it is. This is from the Crash Course in Science box set out on Vinyl On Demand right now. Triple LPs. Grab it because there are only 600 of them. 600. 1,400 fewer than the, uh, the signals from Pure 13 12-inch? Yes. <laughs>
Flying Turns, Crash Course in Science, the new CCIS remix. I'm here with Michael Z from Crash Course in Science, the uh, legendary Philadelphia NYC art school, art wave band. Tell me about that remix that you did of your own song. Well, um, we were, we, <laughs> sorry, we did a remix of Flying Turns and uh, we, we worked on it, um, I guess it was about a year ago, last summer. And um, it's out on Terrence Fixmer's um, Jupiter Records, which is an offshoot of his Planet Rouge uh, record label. And there also are mixes of um, by him and by t- uh, Danton Eprom, which is a more techno take on the song. But it was really it was a really great um, project to work back into that song and to uh, play around with it a little bit and and just make it really pop for the dance floor. Now, did you use some of the same equipment that you used back in 1981 when you revisited it? 1980, I'm sorry. Uh, when you revisited it, say, 28 years later? Yes. Um, we have all the original Crash Course instruments still intact. Um, and like I said, Dale um, Felicello built pretty much all of our instruments. And um, they're in little casings. Uh, they're in little plastic casings, and there's one that's called the orange and one that's called the white and one that's called the gray and one that's called the blue and each um, instrument has its own uh, vocabulary of sounds and um, so on flying turns we we used a lot of the gray <laughs> actually <laughs> that so, boing boing kind of sound so when you're playing yeah. at, at like a small club like an art gallery in, in Philadelphia there would be this great visual element right because you know, you're switching between the different colors on the different songs. Um, well, uh, sometimes, like the you know, the audience couldn't really see what we were playing until after we finished. I remember one time we played, and then we went backstage, and I think people ran up to the keyboard stands to kind of see what we were playing in it with all these plastic boxes that were different colors. But um, yeah, there was a visual element to it. Um, in uh, the early days, we did have. Um, we did have keyboard stands that had kind of a translucent front, so you could see these colored boxes, so you could actually see us pressing pressing the keys or buttons on them. Did you do any sort of projections or anything like that? I mean, you're a visual artist as well, correct? And, yes. And most of, is everyone else in the band also a visual artist? Yes, yeah, we all are. Um, to be perfectly honest, a couple of times we did performances where we, we um, had films projected behind us. We did do a gallery show in Philly where we had uh, Fritz Lang's Metropolis projected behind us, and that was fun. And then we also had a film called Recipes for Leisure that was kind of like a 1950s um, demonstration film about how to have a party outside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, But that was actually a, a film that we showed before um, that the, the actual show started. That but, sounds... Um, so perfect to go with cakes in the home. Yeah, that was that was and, the idea. Kitchen motors. <laughs> I mean, that's that's just ideal. Now it's, it's y- a good one. <laughs> you played live on WXPN. Back in the day, yeah, we and, did. And uh, maybe one day we'll get to hear those tapes. And you also taped for the Uncle Floyd show. Yes, we. Um, I was working in a small animation studio, and I met David Bird, who was um, working on the Uncle Floyd show, and. Um, I told him about Crash Course, and he got us to come on the show. And uh, the first time we were on the Uncle Floyd show, we just did Cakes in the Home. We did the one song, and um, and that song is like a minute in like 15 seconds or a minute 30 seconds long. And um, so they had us back, not because of the length of the song, but just because we went over well, and Uncle Floyd had a lot of fun talking to us. And uh, so we were on the show actually four times. And um, unfortunately, I only have... Uh, tapes of two of the times but the last time we were on we did Cardboard Lamb and Factory Forehead from Signals from Pier 13 and I do have screenshots that were taken off the television of that performance but um, or that television appearance but I, I don't actually have a tape of it. If anyone has that let me know. <laughs> Get in contact. Michael G at WFMU.org or else you can leave a playlist comment. Now did you upload the Uncle Floyd shots to YouTube? Um, yes. I did. And last last I checked earlier today, it had something like 6,000 views. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't checked in a while, but yeah. I uh, uploaded um, the Uncle Floyd uh, piece and also the Cardboard Lamb video, the original video that we did for that. And who directed the Cardboard Lamb video? Um, I don't remember. Um, well, we, we actually 
did a, a storyboard for it all in slides um, first. So we kind of knew what we wanted. And it was actually a friend of Steve Pross's that, um, that helped us with that. And we shot it in New York in pretty much, well, I think it was two days, actually. We did all the location shots one day, and then we shot at Young Filmmakers one day for the scenes that involved the really primitive chroma key scenes. Um, but that was really fun, and that was actually distributed th through Rock America. Um, so it played at places like Danceteria and places like that, clubs and back in the day. When did you first develop like an internet presence of Crash Course in Science? Because you were you and Dale were early internet users, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Maybe. <laughs> uh, I think Dale was probably a little bit more than I. Um, he put up our website, well, basically, you know, f around, I guess it was around six years ago, six or seven years ago, we started getting a lot of requests for licensing of tracks, um, you know, like I, like I mentioned with um, Action Mechanique, and there were several other compilations uh, that just, you know, kind of out of the blue, it just seemed like the whole electro thing was, was really, um, you know, especially 80s electro was really getting big, and so um, we, I was getting a lot of emails from people, and um, it seemed like, you know, when we put up the website, I started getting a lot more emails from from people that were interested in the band and wondering what we were doing. And, um, you know, I knew that we had this unreleased uh, material sitting in the vault in Philadelphia, and I had never given up hope that we were going to get it out. And so it just seemed like the perfect time to to start to get that ball rolling and uh, the result of that is the box set so that's great and now you kept on making music kind of as near Marineland kind of went on and then was it just you know, tell me more about some of your solo projects okay um, yeah um, since I lived in New York uh, you know I used to do um, solo performances at the at the Pyramid Club and um, and I was also one of the members of a performance art group called Disturbed Form Theater with my friend Greg Reeves. And uh, he was really influenced by Alwyn Nikolai Dance Theater, who I was really influenced by musically. And so um, it was a good fit. And, you know, Greg would make these great costumes that were inflatable that would like fill up the stage. And um, I had, a, I made a lot of projections that we projected on top of the costumes. And there was lots of cutting through paper curtains and just different kind of visual tricks and things and um it really developed as time went on and it was a really really fun project and i used to kind of do the music from the back of the theater so i was kind of watching it along with the audience and people didn't really realize that the music was live so mm -hmm. it, was, it was really a, a fun project and i was also in a band with ken montgomery called kmz and uh, we used to perform at the pyramid as well and in philadelphia as well too you never came out here, right, to WFMU? Because Ken is a longtime WFMU cohort. Um, <clears throat> I don't think we did. Okay. <laughs> I, I have a theory that if there's a cassette anywhere of the be. KMZ <laughs> stuff, it'll be lurking in the cassette <laughs> archives that I still have to explore uh, down there. Now, tell me about practicing. How did you guys get together to practice if you're in New York there in Philadelphia? Um, well, in the early days, we had a... Um, um, Dale and Mallory both worked at a bookstore on South Street in Philly called The Book Trader. And King of Siam, which is another band that we were friends with, um, also used to rehearse in the basement of The Book Trader. And Dale and Mallory <coughs> and I started to rehearse there. And I would just go down there and I would commute and uh, stay down there for the weekend or sometimes for like a week and just, you know, we would get a lot of work done. And then... Um, as time went on, um, Dale actually got this really great loft on Bread Street in Philadelphia. It was right next to the bridge there, and um, he built a rehearsal room in the uh, in his loft, and that was really the main um, rehearsal space that we had for for years. And that's you know where we we did a lot of recording, and you know we really rehearsed the Marineland material there, and. That was that was a really cool place. Now this next track that we're going to hear, this is a, a live track from. Is it a live track or a demo from 1979? 
Um, it's uh, it's actually a rehearsal tape. It's a rehearsal <laughs> tape. So yeah. This is one of the things that was either recorded at the book trader or at the loft. Yes. And <laughs> this is you said this is how you would open up your shows. Yes, we used to open with a song called Bumpster, and uh, and this was this is Dale on vocals, and I'm playing guitar, and Mallory's singing backup and uh, playing keyboard. And here is Bumpster. <laughs> Thank you. 
Near Marine Land Remix. I'm here with Michael Z from Crash Hello. Course in Science. And uh, <laughs> he has been kind enough to uh, spare his time and discuss with us the history of Crash Course in Science and their new box set out on the Vinyl On Demand label out of Germany. So, Near Marine Land Remix. This is one of four versions of Near Marine Land in the box set, I think? I think so, yeah. And, and this is a version where you went it back in, in 2009, you re-recorded some parts, or...? Yes, basically, it was, um, it's the original recording, but certain sections were uh, rearranged, and, uh, yeah, and, and it was remixed, basically, yeah. Sounds great. And, <laughs> and you have some live news coming up. Uh, yes, we're doing a performance as part of BIMFest in Antwerp on um, December the 19th in Belgium, and, um, it'll you know we're excited about uh performing the music again <laughs> now one of the things that, that you told me is that people have been approaching you about playing live for quite quite a few years now this is BIMFest. this is when is it coming up do you know what weekend it is it's december the 19th okay and it's in belgium are you one of the headliners of it um well according to the poster we're the uh, second from the top. <laughs> wow. So <laughs> Who's the top? Uh, Absolute body control? Leather strip. Leather strip. Okay. I don't know that. But wow. That's that's big news. It is. Yeah. <laughs> are you are you ready for this, this era of, of, of Crash Course in Science to be playing yeah. to, to Belgian dance kids out in festivals? Yeah. yeah. Um, we are. <laughs> A long time coming and, and well-deserved. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for all of the excellent, amazing music. Again, if anyone has any footage of the other appearances on Uncle Floyd's show, please, please post it to YouTube. Did you do any other live appearances that were videotaped things? Um, well, I actually have one other um, one other clip from Uncle Floyd that I haven't posted on YouTube yet, um, but I will, But um, where we do mechanical breakdown in Kitchen Motors. But um, the one that I'm missing is the first time we were on when we just did Cakes in the Home. And then the other one that I don't have a copy of is when we did Cardboard Lamb and Factory Forehead. And some of the photos in the, in the box set and uh, actually on our website, there's some other photos of, the, of the, the time that we were on where we did Cardboard Lamb. And um, they did some really cool um, uh, visual effects like on us and... Uh, it, like with trails and uh, sort of solarizing different parts of it. it. It was really cool. I'm glad that you at least have some images from it. Um, but um, but yeah, if anybody has that, let me know. <laughs> did you did you do any other live live video like TV shows or anything like that? Um, we have we have another video that we did um, called Glamour Pills that we'll probably put on YouTube eventually. But it's just it's another it's for an unreleased song. Um, but there is a video for it. And your website again? It's crashcoursinscience.com. That's easy enough to remember. Yeah. And um, just so you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a MySpace crash course site called CCIS, and it's actually a fan site. It's not a site that we've put up ourselves. So if anybody's trying to get in touch with us, um, it's better to do it through the website then to try to get it to us through uh, MySpace. How many how many fans do you think you have? Friends do you think you have on MySpace? I don't know. Like like <laughs> like 10,000 probably or something like I'm that. I'm not sure. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm so excited to hear that this is this is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of Crash Course in Science releases and that there are all these other video things and unreleased projects. It's uh, it's just so exciting. Yeah, there's there's a lot more. <laughs> thank, thank you so much, and great luck in Belgium. I, uh, I look forward to hearing it and hearing more of the unreleased music. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Michael. This has been uh, Choking on Cufflinks, and I'll be back next week. And again, Crash Course in Science. They have a new triple LP and 7-inch compiling all of their works released at the time, as well as loads of amazing live material out on vinyl on demand out of Germany. Thanks. <laughs>